Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Plotlines. I'm your host, Connor, and today we'll be talking about the Moto Proprio with Charles Coulomb. In the flesh and voice, more or less. Well, you are back in the States, aren't you? I sure am. Back in the U.S. of A. Uh, it's not quite the country I remember leaving, of course. Uh, yeah. we have Hindenburg as president, which is interesting. Um, I've had to had to leave several organizations because of Wolkery, which I haven't enjoyed. You know, you would think that after the burning, uh, the hot, hot summer of burning love, that uh, Wolkery would be less um, less popular amongst uh, people than it is. But why should it be? I mean, it wasn't made by logical sense to begin with. Why would it? Uh, why would it well, change? That's right. So. I mean, as my late father used to say, when you're stupid, bad things happen. And right now, our country is uh, living proof of this. But not just the country. It's uh, what, what afflicts us of the state, afflicts us of the church as well. Stupiditas omnia vincit. <laughs> That's Latin. Ah, well, you have been studying your Latin, haven't you? I sure have. What and was... Uh, you you uh, did you graduate from your program or what? Oh. Uh, yes and yes and no. Uh, they gave me a BA, but I have two more years for the masters in uh, sacred theology. Oh, okay, well we're very happy to have you back in the states. the The country has been not quite the same. Well, enjoy it while you can. I go back on the sixteenth of August, so I'll be uh, I'll be in the. Uh, uh, well, until August the 1st, I'll be here in, uh, in California. And then the uh, last, well, the last two weeks, the first two weeks of August, I'll be uh, flogging the Emperor Charles book in the Northeast. And I'll be speaking in, amongst other places, New York City, uh, Annandale, New Jersey, Dallawippa, Pennsylvania. I'm hitting, in other words, I'm hitting the big time climate. Uh, and in DC, uh, if you're in the DC area, uh, August 6th, I'll be speaking at Old St. Mary's. And if you're in the New York area, uh, August 2nd, I'll be speaking in the evening at 6.30, I think. I'll be at um, Most Holy Redeemer in Lower Manhattan. And there's some other goodies being planned, but at any rate, those are the... And then uh, I'll be at Alawippa at St. Titus Church in uh, Alawippa, PA, near Pittsburgh. So anyway, uh, that's what's staring me in the face. The 16th, I fly back to Austria and uh, new misadventures. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, uh, that sounds wonderful. Uh, I mean, they're very lucky to have you up in the Northeast when, when they get you. Um, but, but I think we should uh, bring, uh, focus today on sort of the big news, the mostly terrifying, but... Uh, or unnerving news, I have to say. But uh, news nonetheless, Pope Francis has come out with a new moto proprio. What is it? Traditiones Custodes, which is ironic uh, for its meaning. Yeah, it, it certainly uh, hit the world like a thunderclap, although, of course, there were a lot of rumors. Um, it's certainly very much in keeping with the Holy Father's uh, notorious, shall we say, lack of care uh, regarding what he does or says. 
as he said many years ago to La Nacion, uh, the Holy Ghost had given him the gift of unawareness. Uh, and I mean, mind you, he did the same thing for me, but I've tried to hide it all these years. The Holy Father is, <laughs> the Holy Father is very proud of it. So, you know, you, what's not to like? Um, yeah. But there are certain problems, you might say, from the get-go with the whole thing. And a lot of questions have been raised in people's minds. For one thing, uh, raising this kind of ruckus on the immediate aftermath of the COVID monster, when so many dioceses are struggling to make to get people to come back to mass and to get dough, yeah, I mean, just from a simple dollars and cents move, it makes no sense. It's crazy. Why would you do yeah. that? Well. Um, I can I can speculate as to what his reasons are. Uh, before I do, though, I think it's very important that we look at what the reality of the situation is, as opposed to what he says. Um, now, mind you, I'm I'm sure what he did was very real to him, and of course, you know that's that's very important, I suppose. But in in reality. Remember that when Benedict XVI brought in uh, Sumorum Pontificum, he pointed out that the traditional uh, rites had never been outlawed. Now, that was de jure, that is to say by, the, by law, not de facto. To take you back a little bit, in 1969, Paul VI issued, well, take you back further, 1571, St. Pius <laughs> V issued a uh, papal bull entitled Quo Primum, wherein he, uh, he authorized and established the, what we call the Tridentine Mass. Now, that's kind of a misnomer because it didn't start with Trent. What he really did was codify existing practice because there'd been a lot of variants that had grown up in the preceding couple of centuries. Uh, and it was those variants in particular that he wanted to suppress. It's interesting that in Quo Primo, it's very clear that any right that had existed for 200 or more years before the date of Quo Primo was allowed to go on. And that includes things like the Sarum right, the right of Braga, the Mozarabic right, the Ambrosian right, and so on and so on. Uh, he was very careful only to zero in on the abuses in the mass that had grown up over the previous two centuries. It's an important thing to bear in mind. Now, St. Pius V uh, then declared that it, his work was immovable, irreversible, etc. And there's a lot of talk as to whether or not that's true. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a canonist. I don't pretend that I have a, a, an opinion that would be useful there. But yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Hold on, sorry. Um, I just want for all of our, for our listeners to for me to read a little bit of it. I have yeah. uh, sort of the uh, important aspects uh, or important parts uh, here with me. Um, so this is from the papal bull. We grant in perpetuity that this missile is hereafter freely and lawfully to be used without any scruple of conscience or fear of incurring any penalty of censure. No one whosoever is permitted to alter this notice of our permission, statute, ordinance, command, precept, grant, indult, declaration, will, decree, and prohibition. Should anyone dare to contravene it, let him know that he will 
incur the wrath of Almighty God and of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul. Wow. Sounds kind of mean. But, well, you know, but he's a saint. You can never trust saints. That's why we have the kind of rulers we have, because we can't trust them. Never mind. <laughs> I, don't trust I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But basically, yeah, it's pretty strong language. And of course, it's always pointed out that alterations were in fact made to the missile, the additions of saints, and some other things. But nevertheless, quo primum was never abrogated. Whether or not it could be, as I say, is a whole other story, which I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to speculate about. Sure. But in 1969, uh, Paul VI presented Missale Romanum, which despite the authoritative sounding language used in the, um, in the vernacular translations, except French, uh, in the Latin, it simply presents it as an alternative. Uh, in 1974, the uh, Congregation for Divine Worship issued an unsigned note forbidding the use of the old missile. Now, uh, this was what we call, these are the two words, of, if you know me or my work, you know it's a phrase I love to repeat over and over, ultra vires, beyond your power, beyond your strength. No, you don't have that right. You don't get the right to do that. No, it's ultra vires. So this was on the face of it, a declaration on the CDW, CDW's uh, point part that was ultra vires. Uh, in when uh, John Paul II became Pope, he appointed a commission of 10 cardinals to look into the matter, to the juridical status of the Trinitine Mass. They found that, in fact, it had never been, uh, it had never been made illegal because co-primo had never been abrogated. Now, interesting thing here, John Paul II did not see fit to promulgate their findings. Now, what does this mean? <clears throat> it doesn't mean their findings were not factually correct. It means they were not, if you will pardon the expression, juridically recognizable. That is to say, interesting. well, it, it's an important difference. Yeah. Because in order for, in order for a, the work of a commission, uh, of a papal commission, to have any kind of juridical standing, it has to be promulgated. But okay. even if it isn't promulgated, that doesn't change the factual nature of its findings. If a papal commission found that water is wet and the Pope, for whatever reason, decided not to promulgate the findings, that doesn't mean that water suddenly becomes dry. And we have this sort of feeling in the church that reality and legality are always the same. They're not. And that's why we have the apostolic signatura, the, uh, sorry, the uh, penitentiaria, the highest court in the church, which judges the internal forum, which is a concept I'll go into at some other point if we remember to do so. Anyway, suffice to say that uh, I believe it was on that, the basis of the findings of that commission that Pope Benedict, in his motu proprio, uh, declared that the old books had never been abrogated. Now, having said that, some, again, we, go, we leave legality and we return to reality again. Uh, the real world where people live as opposed to, you know, those people. Um, 
the uh, well, they don't have to live with the results of what they do. They can do whatever they choose. Mm-hmm. We're stuck living them. And the fact is that the 1974 unsigned note uh, led to the, the ruin of hundreds, perhaps thousands of clerical careers around the globe. It led to charges of schism against lay people by clerics and by other lay people. All right, that's slander. It's a sin. It's an injustice. One that cried to heaven for vengeance. However, given all the other scandals the hierarchy have uh, been part of, uh, I think Benedict XVI did the very best thing he could have done with Sumorum Pontificum in the sense that he put a fig leaf over the injustice while coming to the aid of the beleaguered faithful. So you see, without opening up a can of worms that would have done no one any good, he nevertheless attempted to undo the effects of the injustice without addressing it head on, simply noticing its existence and moving on. Uh, You'll notice he did something similar at the beginning of his pontificate when he came up with the ideas of the hermeneutic of rupture and the hermeneutic of uh, continuity. If you read the uh, greeting to the Curia in December of 2005, where he comes up with this idea, you would get the impression that the hermeneutic of rupture was the idea of, you know, theologians and academics in some small places, and that the hermeneutic of continuity was, in fact, the general deal. The reality, of course, on the ground was the opposite. Yeah. But at any rate, coming forward to the future, what does this mean? In undoing Benedict's work, what Francis has really done is torn the fig leaf off the injustice and shoved it right out there again for everyone to contemplate and enjoy alongside Cardinal Ted McCarrick, Cardinal Beccio, and the other, well, pervs and criminals the Holy Father saw fit to surround himself with. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think I believe as much in the right of free association as anyone. You know, this is why I very much objected when the governor of New York was driven from office for consorting with prostitutes. I mean, I'm a writer. I like being around other writers. And I can see why a politician of his sort would want to be around other members of his profession. I thought <laughs> it was very unfair to drive him out just for being with his own kind. Anyway, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, want to, don't want to smack around the ex-governor of New York too much. Uh, there are others to do that for me. But seriously, um, so where does that leave us now? Well, it's put us in a very interesting position because this is where the uh, men are separated from the girls, quite literally, as far as the bishops are concerned. Uh, many of our men, not just in the United States, but many bishops around the globe, a lot in the States, have said they're going to study the document. Now, if you follow bishops, that usually means they're going to ignore it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. And mind you, there are all sorts of reasons for them to do so. There are some bishops who are very, who are genuinely favorable to tradition and to orthodoxy. There are some who don't see any reason why members of their flock should be smacked around for no particular purpose and why their faith should be in danger. Uh, in other words, they're pastoral. There are others who predict 
you know, having just come out of the COVID, where the Latin masses were packed while the parishes were closed, they're trying to get their dioceses moving again. This mm -hmm. is the last thing they need. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, I mean, it varies from bishop to bishop. There's also, I suspect, as far as the United States is concerned in particular, there has been the coolness between Pope Francis and uh, the American hierarchy, not all of it, Cardinal Seepich and uh, Cardinal Tobin and the Bishop of uh, Little Rock being notable exceptions. But also uh, the Archbishop of Washington, D.C. Well, interesting there, though. Really? Archbishop, Archbishop Cardinal Gregory, I should say, has uh, informed the Latin mass community in D.C. that life's going to go on. Hmm. I, I, not, I was not expecting that. I guess maybe he's very politically outspoken. Maybe he's not as uh, concerned with uh, clerical matters, which is kind well, of... Weird. Let's put it this way. At the, at the very least, uh, a smart bishop in a place with a large and influential and well-to-do Latin mass community, at the very least, let's, make, let's think the worst of him, if you like, on everything else. This is a fight he doesn't need, especially in the wake of COVID. He really doesn't need this. Yeah. Now, there is, as I say, another consideration, and that is the coolness that's descended between most of the American hierarchy and the Holy Father since November. Now, despite the fact that the president probably doesn't remember it, you may recall his election. <laughs> uh, well, look, there's nothing wrong with senility in a president. It worked for Hindenburg. Anyhow. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it'll work well for Biden. But uh, on that occasion, you may recall that uh, the bishops of the United States, uh, spearheaded by uh, our own Archbishop Gomez out here in L.A., who wrote the document, wrote a letter of congratulations to President Biden, which, after congratulating him for his new government employment, uh, said, you know, oh, and by the way, while you pretend to be a Catholic, Here's where you, you've, uh, you're differing from the church's teaching. Well, the Holy Father uh, erupted in righteous wrath and said, no, you're not going to send him that. I'll send him that. So he basically sent a letter of congratulations on the new government job and said it was wonderful and didn't he deserve it and stuff. <laughs> but then the American bishops went ahead and published their, uh, their letter anyway. And then uh, Cardinal Seepich attacked the whole thing on Twitter. And they're all much, like children. Well, you know, those whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. But at any rate, he, uh, seepage, then uh, did not get any support. And the next thing we heard, the Holy Father is taking him back to Rome to uh, ruin some other area of, of administration. Now, I mentioned this because it seems to me that the reaction of the biggest part of the American Episcopate to this latest excitement is connected to that. I could be wrong, of course, but you know, the days when a Paul VI living off the moral capital of his predecessors could tell us all to put underwear on our heads and dance around, those days are gone. Hey, but he but, couldn't tell people to, you know, not use birth control. Nope. 
Well, see that by that time, the problem with the whole birth control thing, I'll be very blunt, and this is where Paul VI shot himself in the foot. He had appointed a commission of people, including laity, to look into the issue of birth control. His own commission recommended that the church change its teaching. And everyone expected that the church would do so. Make no mistake, Humanae Vitae was an heroic uh, act on Paul's part. And the utter horror of the last 10 years of his episcopate, sorry, of his pontificate, the last 10 years in which he was just universally vilified, I'm sure that's what gained him his sanctity. I have absolutely no doubt. But at any rate, just as uh, St. Celestine V was not canonized for his abdication from the papacy, <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> it. So anyway, moving along, uh, the next question that afflicts us is, uh, okay, well, that's all nice, but why then is the Holy Father doing it now? Especially with Pope Benedict still alive. Yeah. Who, I mean, I, I can only imagine what he's thinking because what, amongst other things, apart from ripping aside that fig leaf, what uh, Pope Francis has done in this decree of his is to canonize the hermeneutic of rupture. Interesting. Think about that. This is a complete rejection of his predecessor's work. Yeah. So, what does this mean? Sorry? Well, how often are motu proprios abrogated? Not often. And that, again, uh, since I don't think the Holy Father is either deaf, dumb, or blind, unlike uh, the kid and uh, Tommy, I, uh, I suspect the reason why he did it, I mean, there had long been speculation that he would do something like this when Benedict was dead. Why do yeah. it now? Especially in the wake of COVID, when you've already had most of the world's hierarchy and the Pope himself telling us we don't need the sacraments anyway. We can get them spiritually. In which case, you know, Holy Father, I don't really need you or your clergy. Get a job. <laughs> but, well, I mean, if I were to believe instead, if I believed that all I need is a perfect act of contrition and spiritual communion, I don't need a clergy. Bye-bye. Bye. And I'll tell that you something else. That means stipend. they don't have to give you money. Ah, the stipends for spiritual sacraments are very cheap. They go to God himself. <laughs> without any mediating pope, no Peter's Pence, no Together in Mission, no Caritas, no nothing. Just me and my God. So, unfortunately, uh, for me anyway, I don't believe that. So, yeah. the thing is that this is then the worst possible time he could have done it. So why? Now, I don't know. He doesn't talk to me much. We don't hang out anymore. He doesn't? I thought you guys were best friends. No, no, not since an unfortunate incident with a, a bottle of yerba mate, but that's a whole other story. Is that why you're, you know, in that, uh, the, the room of... Uh, despair yes it's it's true I'm, I'm being held prisoner by argentine rebels and they're not going to release me until i admit che guevara was a saint so i'm, I'm in bad shape but the uh 
No, seriously, uh, my suspicion is very simple. You see, the Holy Father is a member of that generation of clerics, not who originated the post-Vatican II uh, chaos, but who implemented it. When I was your age and younger, every parish had a Vatican II priest who was in charge of throwing out the statues, ripping out the altar rails, bringing in the guitars, or sometimes ripping the rosary apart in the pulpit, definitely banning Eucharistic adoration. Oh, yes. No more novenas. No more devotions. No, 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 no. So sad. No, no, it wasn't sad. Sad is when you get hit by lightning. <laughs> because it was intended. But see, that generation of cleric are now the dominant age group in the church. They're the leadership, and the Holy Father is an integral member of them. Their minds are deeply planted in the year of our Lord, 1968. And I believe me, I remember that year very, very well. I was a boy, seven, eight. I remember that time. You betcha. Well, they haven't changed. And he hasn't changed. At the time, especially when John Paul II came in, and, and particularly when he began to retrench something. People forget that Eucharistic adoration was virtually extinct, at least in the United States, until he personally began to push for it. People forget that. I don't, I remember it very well. Uh, and then of course he brought in the adult and bit by bit, as we know, the Latin mass made its return. Eventually under Benedict, we had not only its freeing, but the Anglican Ordinariate and a whole bunch of other neat stuff. Um, but that sort of cleric of, of the mindset of the Holy Father felt that the work of Vatican II had not been finished. They were the hermeneutic of rupture people. So now I suspect that the Holy Father feels, uh, especially having had a big chunk of his gut removed, he feels that he needs to get this done now. Yeah, it's amazing. Pope Benedict XVI has lived this long, though, too. It's, it's... Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you something. People have asked me if it's okay to pray for Francis's death. No, it is not. It's a terrible sin. You can pray for his conversion all you like. True, true. Never his death. But I'll tell you what I do pray for. And so far, my prayer has been answered. I pray that Benedict the 16th lived to see Francis's successor. That would be so bizarre because theoretically couldn't the Cardinals elect him again? Don't ask me. Again, these, mean, are, these are uncharted waters. And you know, sure, the waters, I, I gotta tell you also, these are waters that we lay people should never have had to dip our toes in. Sure. We should never have been presented with any of this rot you know, trying to figure out uh, the validity of a mass or its lucidity. That's crazy. We shouldn't have to do that. That's why God gave us shepherds. But instead, we have hirelings. And not all of them, of course. If, if anything, the shepherds are really emerging right now. And God bless them all. Uh, I'm but, really impressed with a lot of bishops. And even uh, we, 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 gave, we gave Supage a little bit of a hard time, but he seems to be letting things go as is 
from my understanding. Well, you know, again, it's a fight. Like you look at Chicago. Now you remember he wanted to shut down the uh, he wanted to shut down the Institute of Christ the King. I don't. Uh, yeah, when was that? Oh, a couple of years ago when the church was uh, was was burned. He was oh. the, he, he actually suppressed the suppressed the parish. But then he found out how much money is behind them. Well, yeah. And Chicago, see, it's all about the money. What's wrong with that? No man <laughs> well, can at this point, God mammon, and if you choose to serve mammon, that's your right. Relig Look, if religious liberty doesn't begin with the clergy, what good is it? Exactly. Oh, and by the way, you'll notice that Latin was not suppressed if you want to pray to, to uh, Patra Mama. <laughs> I saw your tweet about that. Uh, I, I couldn't help myself. I really could. I mean, the, the problem is we're now in a position, really, of the emperor's new clothes. At what point do we stop getting angry and start laughing? I thought the emperor didn't have any clothes anymore. I believe that this particular uh, particular pontificate Let's just say it may be it may have clothes, but it's throwing them off right and left. Uh, okay. You know, the, the, la the last guy to strip tease anybody really needs to see. However, <laughs> having my said word, that, well, what? Oh, oh my! Just <laughs> what? Don't want... Anyway, Don't want... <laughs> so no, the 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 uh, the thing is too. I mean, I've long speculated. Uh, about the Holy Father's mental health. You know, could it be this is a sign of dementia? Uh, and if it is, we have no machinery for dealing with a senile pope. True, but I don't know. It's really, I feel like it's really hard to measure the uh, health of a pope. It's extremely hard. And, and it, I mean, I, I began to wonder, frankly, when he slapped the Chinese lady, uh, I really began to wonder about his stability. Uh, I don't know. I mean, again, we don't hang out anymore. But uh, not that we ever did. But I, uh, <laughs> I just, uh, well, I guess you could say we don't hang out any less either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, you but, don't. But honestly, I mean, I feel, in one sense, I feel very bad for the man because people who are completely in love with their own view of reality to the exclusion of objective reality, life is very hard for them in all sorts mm -hmm. of ways. And we have to pray very hard for him. I mean, he is the Pope. He... You know, having written a history of the popes, doing a thing or two about papal history, I can tell you we've had really awful popes in the past. And I'm not just talking about morals. I mean, the, the poster child, of course, is Honorius silencing the Orthodox in the face of monophyletism. Uh, but there are a number of other uh, such. I mean, Julius III, apart from his scandalous private life, I mean, he would have done Cardinal McCarrick proud. But uh, beyond that, he knowingly gave a diocese in Germany to a Lutheran. Yikes. Let's well, just, I mean, yeah. this is a little less, like, sim this is not kind of similar, but not as bad. But no, when uh, 
It's we not. Lost. Well, no. Oh, I don't mean like I'm not talking about like the memo proprio. Just another historical event. Um, when uh, the Cramner was made Archbishop of Canterbury. No. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and the, with the now, mind you, one hopes the Pope at the time wasn't aware of what he was doing in, in terms of who he was appointing. Sure, then, I don't think he was. No, I, I would hope not. But then also, uh, you have Urban the Eighth, who during the Thirty Years' War backed King Gustavus Adolphus against the Holy Roman Emperor and the Catholic, uh, the Catholic League. Um, at which time, the the Roman mob, who then is now, have always been, shall we say. Uh, never never afraid to comment on their quote-unquote pope, said uh, the king of Sweden has more zeal for his heresy than does our pope for our holy faith, which alone can save us. Mm. Or the, that, Which pope was it that uh, supported William of Orange? Uh, that was Alexander VIII, I think, or the seventh? Seventh. Yeah, uh, and he, now again, he supported William of Orange, uh interestingly enough because he was at war with louis 14th which again doesn't make that well i, mean, I guess it makes some, it, some it, it doesn't louis 14th, louis 14th had it his doesn't moments. it doesn't he had yeah. his moments but i mean you know again thinking of urban the eighth uh when he was urging louis 14th's father louis 13th to get into the holy holy uh, into the 30 years war after the swedes were defeated uh, Louis XIII was besieging the Huguenot uh, citadel of La Rochelle. It, yeah, exactly. Just And the Pope said to him, it is more pleasing to God for you to attack the Habsburgs than the Huguenots. <laughs> now, it's bizarre. Well, again, it would make more sense if we were living then, but it still is not very creditable behavior. Sure, I guess I should say disappointing, not, not bizarre, because... It, it does have its uh, logical nature when you well, yeah, think yeah. about the historical setting. No. I mean, we, we all also were gifted with 2020 hindsight. I mean, we, we, could, we could see the results in a way they couldn't. It's just yeah. like the period we're living through now. I mean, if nothing else, seeing the unraveling, the, the moral and doctrinal unraveling of a pope should lead us all to worry about ourselves. Because if this can happen to a successor of St. Peter, it can surely happen to any one of us. Yeah. In with and under everything else, uh, I think we should probably see, in a sense, what's going on with the Holy Father as a call to repentance in our own lives. True. I think everyone needs to look at themselves before they, uh, you know, before they deal with uh, the problems surrounding them. Yeah, and then, I mean, too, I remember my uh, my brother, when he was in a, not in California, in another city, I don't want to say where, because I want to keep the, the whole thing vague, but suffice to say... I love vague. Yeah, vague is good. Uh, that's, good. that's why my mind tends to be very vague. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, so my, my brother... Uh, well, they, they had a very fine priest who was offering a Latin mass. But, you know, he was a, 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 regular, a regular diocesan priest who was used to chattering away with other priests in the language they used. In the course of a sermon, he uh, did, talked, in re he uh, made reference to the reform of the divine office after Vatican II. Now, 
mind you, the priest in question uses the pre-Vatican II breviary. It's just a, a manner of speaking for him. It's not, but I mean, that's the way diocesan priests talk to each other, I suppose. But at any rate, uh, one, of the, one of the members of the parish afterwards, after mass, went to a blue streak. He's talking to my brother and says, what a terrible, the reform of the, of the Holy, of the uh, divine office. It's terrible, liturgy of the hours, that he's going on and on and on. And my brother, who uh, does take a rather cruel delight in torpedoing people's uh, uh, rhetoric, said, uh, well, I see. Well, tell me, do you and your family recite the divine office? And if you do, pre or post Vatican II, Latin or English? Well, uh, 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 we've been thinking about doing it. Yeah, well, you know, Father actually says his breviary every day in Latin in the old rite. So maybe when you start matching what he does, you'll be in a position to critique what he says. <laughs> Which is partly my brother's uh, you know, bloody-mindedness, but also there's a certain amount of truth to it. Um, at any rate, the biggest thing to remember is that these are terribly, terribly confusing times. And all sorts of people we know in, in private life, in personal life, will come to different conclusions than we do. It's important that we be charitable toward them and that we not treat them as though our own opinions were holy writ. Uh, mind you, three quarters of the time, they'll do that to us so we don't have to worry about it. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if they don't, then we really shouldn't to them. Because, I mean, what does the devil love? The devil loves confusion, he loves hatred, and he loves despair. Yeah. And I feel like a, one of the worst things about the motu proprio was I think a lot of people jumped down a hole, you know, when it when it when it was released on Friday. Well, of course, because it's it's cruel, it's nasty, and almost everyone admits that. It's, yeah. Cool. Uh, and it just, amongst other things, it destroys the carefully created image of the Holy Father. Yeah. Cardinal Mueller or was very uh, had an interesting response. He's he's the, a prefect emeritus of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. You know, he said uh, the Holy Father was you know uh, hitting the sheep hard with the crook. Yeah, and of course, after all, the sheep are only there to be fleeced, not fed. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what it says? What our Lord said to Peter: "Fleece my sheep." <laughs> is that what he said? No? No. no something she else? Shepherd. Well, yeah. Shepherd, the shepherd guides the sheep to the slaughterhouse. Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> no? I thought those the wolves in sheep clothing. Ah, oh, them. <laughs> <laughs> those guys. Well, no, I, I, I joke. But, you know, as, as my late father used to say, you can laugh, you can weep. And laughing is far more discreet. Uh, the truth of the matter, of course, is that we really are in a very unpleasant situation. But God rides straight with crooked lines. He is the Lord of history. He knows what he's doing. I think it's interesting that in the last 25 years, we have had six, count them six, approved 
Eucharistic miracles at Novus Ordo Masses. Now, why is this important? Well, for two reasons. One, it tells us that the Novus Ordo is not valid, at least not when it's said with the right form, intention, and uh, it, it uh, was, matter. It was hard to hear. It was hard to hear you for a second. So you sorry. Not. I meant to say. Not uh, invalid. Uh, yeah, we, we, it, the Novus Ordo is not invalid. Yes, is one of the one of the messages that these Eucharistic miracles give us. But the other, which is even more important, is the reminder that whatever happens with the Pope and the bishops and this and that and everybody jumping up and down, even despite Twitter, where three quarters of us now apparently live, <laughs> uh, despite all of that, God still comes down on the altar every day. And that is what we really have to hold on to. You know, I was asked, um, and a lot of other people were, this was a, a Twitter uh, poll taken about a month or two ago when the rumors of this thing first started going around. If the Holy Father suppresses the uh, uh, traditional mass, would you go A, to bootleg Latin masses, B, Eastern Rite, C, ordinary at masses, D, Novus Ordo, or E, stop going to mass. And my response was everything, all of the above except E, as convenience, uh, as, as my personal convenience dictated. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know how, I don't really know what a bootleg Latin mass would look like, but, uh, or what well, it what, referring what that, to. Well, what a bootleg Latin mass would be is a Latin mass said in direct. Uh, defiance of the of the Holy See, which, you know, it's it's of course a re in reality a uh, in reality a contradiction in terms, because the truth is, as long as Corpimo is not abrogated, there really is no such thing as a bootleg Latin Mass. The truth is, sure. the truth is, what we have is a bootleg prohibition. Like pro, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what we have. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a certain sense, and I don't mean this to be taken to mean more than it does, but when the legal system is administered uh, along the lines, uh, the city of Chicago was run by Al Capone. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got to be kind of, <sighs> let's put it this way, when the authorities play loosey-goosey with the law, uh, you can't really expect too much out of it. Sure. For them. Uh, I just want to say that I think I would end up probably going to one of the middle three. Uh, but, you know. It, it, it would, that's, that's a matter for personal conscience. Sure. It, that's, I just wanted to put up my personal opinion. It's what we call a prudential judgment. Sure. And yeah, I'm not saying anything against the uh you know alternative and that or, the only one of the bunch offered that i would find well, e. impossible yeah. is e sure i, I meant others, like the the others depend yeah. on circumstances mm -hmm. but at the end of the day unless you eat my body and drink my blood you shall not have life in you yeah and you see the church has the obligation to get you the sacraments 
you have a right to the body and blood of Christ if you are a baptized Catholic and if you're, in, if you're not in a state of mortal sin. This is an obligation the church has. It's not some privilege you get because you uh, kick money in. Yeah. Otherwise, it would just be the rich. Well, and it would mean that Christ died purely to give an income to the clergy. Sure. I, yeah. don't, I don't think you'll find that in the Bible anywhere. No, I don't think you'll find that anywhere. <laughs> well, except in practice today. But, uh, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, after all, who's to say? What do you know? I mean, you know. Well, I think, say, well, Judas did it, I guess. Yeah. So, well, years ago, you bring up Judas. Years ago, in the, in the aftermath of Vatican II, I was not swearing, but I was certainly speaking very roughly about uh, various of the bishops. And my father says to me, you're being terribly unfair. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, what do I mean? Look there in the Acts of the Apostles. Right there, Peter says about, uh, you know, about uh, the, the uh, hole in the ranks of the apostles. He says, speaking of Judas, let his bishopric another take. Well, these gentlemen are all taking Judas's bishopric. They're following scripture. And yet you object. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't follow Judas as a role model, everyone. Especially yeah. especially the bishops. Please don't. If, if any of you are listening to this, uh, your excellencies, eminences, lordships, and uh, other assorted high mightinesses, don't follow Judas. <laughs> that's the that's the the best uh, example you can uh, avoid. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there are lots of examples uh, by by. My dear and reverend Episcopate, there are many, many examples for you to follow, starting with 11 of the 12 apostles. <laughs> but that one. Just, just please avoid. Please. Yep. Let, let Connor and me be the angel with the sword at the gate of Eden. <laughs> do, you, do not follow Judas's path. <laughs> it may seem like paradise, your lordships. It may indeed, but it's not. It's not no, you you you'll go down a your ba bad path. <laughs> Going down that hellbound road. <laughs> yeah, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Or uh, or according to Saint John Chrysostom, hell itself is paved with the skulls of priests. But I thought it was bishops. Them too. <laughs> yeah. My but. dad used to say. Uh, Bearing that in mind, bearing that specific passage, he used to say, uh, God forbid I should go to hell. But if I do, I hope he lets me take tap shoes. Well, what do you want, your lordship? Want to hear American patrol? You got it. <laughs> um, well, uh, I think uh, that's all the time we have for today, I think. Yeah. Um, I think we've summed up a lot of our you know our feelings on the motu proprio and i think uh cardinal sarah ha has a good thing to say is like let's just wait and see how this plays out in reality and obviously we're not happy about it on it from a legal perspective but it seems like there are a lot of bishops being charitable to their flocks and let's pray that they remain charitable and let's let's pray also that the holy father 
we gain his senses. Um, you see, it's a funny thing. You know, I've just written about Blessed Emperor Charles and all that. And you look at his wife and that, his life and that of his wife, servant of God, Zeta. Their lives were very, very difficult, but ultimately their defeat was not their tragedy. They went to heaven. Yeah. It's ours because we have to live with the results. But if, which God forbid, the Holy Father or anyone else should go to hell, the damage they do to us is nothing compared to the tragedy of them. Remember, I mean, and this is the worst thing you could say about Judas, is what our Lord said about him. You were better for that man if he had never been born. Yeah. Only way you can say that about anyone is if they go to hell. Yes. That, yeah, that has been the consensus by the, by the, the fathers. Yeah, and, I, and I, I very much fear for our Holy Father. Uh, he, uh, again, the damage he's doing to us is nothing like the damage he's doing to himself. So pray very hard, ladies and gentlemen, that he regain his way. Um, needless cruelty in and of itself is not a way to get to heaven. Yeah. Very, very sad, but we have hope, and that's the, uh, that's the most important part. Long as there's life, there's hope, and be sure to pray for Pope Benedict. That uh, he, uh, I mean, I, I can't even imagine to, uh, what he's going through right now. Yeah, I, I just, I can't fathom the fact that the Holy Father is doing this while Pope Benedict is still there, still around, and yeah. just how, like, he must be, in a sense, I would have thought he would have waited but I think he must be fearing something. I don't know what he's... Well, I, I, I think he's afraid that he will die before Benedict does and yeah. leave his, his vision of the church unrealized. Yeah, which actually, there have been a number of Jesuits that have voiced that uh, without saying it exactly, but uh, have voiced that concern. That yeah, and given, given I mind you, if you look at people like Father Reese and Father Martin, it's yeah. a vision of the church that they share. I don't mind saying that um, having it unrealized would not hurt me in the slightest. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, on a happier note, God's in his heaven, as I say. Our Lord is still coming down on the altar every day. Get him where you can. Say the rosary. Pray to the sacred heart. Do the works of mercy, spiritual and corporal. And uh, above all, let's try to be the best Catholics we can be, the kind of Catholic we think the Pope should be. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for coming on, Charles. It was lovely having you. Uh, and uh, thank you, everyone, for watching or listening. And please like, share, and subscribe. Thanks a, a lot. One. Take care. Bye.